I was really dreading get up here because it looks so hot with the lights on, but they didn't tell me they have a hidden fan right here, so I'm actually more comfortable than you are. So that works for me. We are in our seventh week of studying the Lord's Prayer this summer, a summer full of prayer. And I couldn't think of any other way that I'd rather spend the summer than deep within the prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And what Pastor Adam and I have tried to do is to break it down prayer by prayer that we find here and look deeper than just what the words are, look behind where, where it came from and how we can improve our daily prayers. Uh, last week, we talked about the parable of the running man. You remember that? Actually, we know it as the parable of the prodigal son. Um, the running man was God the Father, who was willing to pick up his robe, show a little skin, lose all dignity, and run towards someone who had cursed him, someone who had betrayed his family in order to forgive him. And what a beautiful image that is of God the Father running to us with his arms open to give us forgiveness. But it doesn't stop there. God says, yes, I will forgive you, but that's not it. I want you to be proactive because when I forgive you, I want you to turn around and I want you to forgive others. And maybe that means people who have never asked you for forgiveness, who have done you wrong. Um, Maybe that includes somebody uh, that has done hateful, hurtful things. And, And then we find ourselves not able to forgive with just the flesh, but with Christ. All things are possible. Amen? And you guys can talk back to me tonight. Deal? I don't want to think that we put you to sleep out there in the heat. We've got a lot to cover tonight, and I'm excited about it. Our scripture today is, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It comes from Matthew 6. Um, And I personally have leaned on this prayer for much of my life. Um, And we personalize it, right? We pray this prayer when things are kind of getting to us and we feel kind of like we're going to the other side, when things are tempting us. And we are all tempted, and we know what temptation is, right? And so we tend to pray this prayer expecting God to just intervene at that time. I'll be the first to tell you I do not like haunted houses, But there is one haunted house that I really love, and it's located at Disney World in Orlando, Florida. Have any of you been to the haunted house there? Yeah? I love that ride. You you get on these little cars, and it goes all through the haunted house, and they've done it so well, and you get to look, and, and that's the one ride that I could do over and over again. But what I remember about that haunted house is that there's a portrait of a woman, and she is everything that beautiful is. She is gorgeous. Her hair is long and flowing. It's smooth. It cascades down to her waist. Her eyes are soft and and so inviting, and her smile and her skin is just 
transparent, and she is so beautiful. And when I first saw it, I thought, what in the world is this doing in the haunted house? And then as as we sat in these little carts and as we kind of went around the curve, I saw it from a different direction. I kind of saw the same portrait from the side, and actually this beautiful woman that represented everything good in the world had turned to something dark and creepy. Her face was now a skeleton. Her eyes were hollowed out. Uh, Her skin, there was no skin. And she looked, her her hair was tangled and and stringy, and she had this evil look on her. And, and, And when I looked back at the good, beautiful picture, I, I just wanted to gaze upon that. But, but when I looked at this other picture, this horrible picture, I, I wanted to look away because it represented everything evil. And I think sometimes that's the way our culture is. We live in a culture where we boast. We tell other countries we are the best. We have the most. We have the abundant life. We have more food than you could ever want, and, and quantities galore. We don't have a water problem. We drink all the clean water we want. And if you really want to work hard and be in America, you can work and you can get rich, and being rich makes you happy. And, and you can buy things. You can buy stuff. You can buy a house to put all your stuff in. And when that house gets too small, you can buy a bigger house. And, and, and you can keep accumulating stuff. And, and this is great, right? Because stuff makes you happy. And, and also, if you get more power and more control in our culture, you can be happier. You need more money. Um, you know, if it feels right, do it. We talked about that last week. This is what our culture says, and in very subtle ways, we see the billboards, we see the pop-ups on the Internet. Oh, boy, do we see the pop-ups on the Internet, right? Facebook alone. But we see all these things that look like this beautiful picture of this woman. She's just representing beauty, and we all want that. And so we start kind of being influenced because our culture is very, very intentionally seductive of us, of our time, of our energies. And and even sometimes as Christians, we've got one foot over here in Christianity and we've got one foot over here in the culture. And and this is comfortable. I can kind of keep this going, you know. I, I kind of want to live out the culture, but you know, I want to be Christian too. And so we, we, we try to do both. And before we know it, we're being enticed toward the culture. And so you have good intentions, right? You wake up in the morning and you think, I'm going to pray this morning. I'm going to read my Bible. But, oh, God, I just don't have time. Look at my busy schedule. I am so, so busy, and the kids' schedule, they're driving me crazy, but I've got to do this. I've got to run here. I've got to run there. I've got to do this. I promise God I will talk to you in the morning, okay? And the morning comes, and we forget. 
and our busy schedules take over. And, and then we find ourselves in a bind, and we want to jump out and pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me give you an example. It's like a man is standing on the side of a busy, busy freeway, and for some reason, he is so focused on getting to the other side, he doesn't even know what he's getting into. All he knows is, I want to get over there. Everything about me says, I want to get over there. And so he just takes off across this busy freeway. He's in the middle of traffic. He's in the middle of this freeway, and something clicks with him. Whoa, this looks dangerous. And, and he looks up and there's an 18-wheeler headed straight toward him. Now he prays. Now he has the time to, to pray, right? Desperation prayers. God, help me. In fact, God, why did you let me get here? This is dangerous. I, I, I don't know why a God would even let that happen, and I might be killed. I might be just, just totally annihilated. Do do you even care, God? Do you see what's happening? Because of our seductive culture, we are lured away from our Christian life. And this is not the kind of life that Jesus talks about. Jesus is inviting us into a deeper look at this prayer tonight. Let's go back to the Old Testament, Psalms 23. A lot of us know that by memory, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. God gives us freedom of choice. You have a choice of what master you're going to follow. You can choose to follow God and Jesus, or you can choose to follow culture. But you have that choice. And I love the first line, the Lord is my shepherd. Are you sure the Lord is your shepherd tonight? Do you only go to him out of desperation to pray? Or is Jesus infiltrating your whole life, your whole being, everything that you have? Are you becoming an apprentice of Jesus? I talked a few weeks ago about the young Jewish boys who would follow their rabbis around, and rabbi is another word for teacher. And the boys would follow their rabbi around, and they would take every step they took because they wanted to know everything that the teacher taught, thought, did. They wanted to become a teacher. And so we see ourselves, Jesus has invited us to be his apprentice. He has invited us to follow him. He says, come on, stay with me because I'm going to teach you something. But Eugene Peterson says it better than I could. In Matthew 10, 28, 30, listen to this invitation. And we've used this before, and it's just so beautiful, I couldn't resist using it again. Listen to the words of Jesus. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real 
rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. And I love this. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. That's his promise. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Don't you love that invitation to come along? And, and he's not going to send somebody else to teach you. Well, maybe he will, but Jesus is teaching us himself through his life. And, and Jesus, if we are apprentices of him, if we are truly wanting to make him Lord of our, our life, if he is truly our master in this life, then we want to learn from him. We want to know how to be the best for Jesus that we can be. And so Richard Foster, who wrote, has written several wonderful books, has written this book called Prayer. And I love how he describes what prayer is. And I just want to to read a, a couple of paragraphs to you from this book. He's referring to the subject of this book, prayer. And he says, it is not about definitions of prayer or terminology for prayer or arguments about prayer, though all of these have their place, nor is it about methods and techniques of prayer, but I'm sure they'll be discussed. No, this book is about a love relationship, an enduring, continuing, growing love relationship with the great God of the universe. Ramon, I love what you read, the letter from your lady, talking about the, the one love and, and how everything is built around that. Foster goes on to say, an overwhelming love invites a response. Love is the principle of prayer. To be effective prayerers, we need to be effective lovers. Real prayer comes from not gritting our teeth, but from falling in love. This is why the great literature of prayer is frankly and wonderfully erotic. The Trinity, writes Juliana of Norwich, is our everlasting lover. Charles Wesley says, Jesus lover of my soul. You remember falling in love? Bill, you remember falling in love and how you felt? Oh, yeah, Sherry gives him the little arm there. She remembers. I remember a lot of you are thinking, you, Pastor Kathy, are a little old to remember falling in love. Well, I don't. I could go back to September the 9th, 1966, when I walked a football player off of the field named Sid Kiesler. We started dating at that time, and I fell in love with Sid. I'm still in love with him today. And we dated that year. I was a sophomore, he was a senior, and then he went off to Austin to go to the university. And we started writing love letters to each other. You didn't think I had it in me, did you? 
Mark, sweet, you are not allowed to read these, okay? <laughs> Love letters. You know why? Because that relationship was special then and it's special now. You see what I mean? And, and Jesus wants that same kind of relationship with each of us. The idea that he wrote the good book, it is full of his love letters to you. And through your prayers and through your journals, you tell him how much you love him. And with any love relationship, you have to continue to work on it, right? And maybe there are times when, when culture lured you away a little bit, but you get right back into it because to have a love relationship, you've got to work on it. Jesus wants that love relationship from us. There's a couple of things about this prayer that I think Jesus would like for us to know tonight. We're going to quickly go through those. First of all, what struck me this week when I was working on this is this is Jesus's prayer, his original prayer. He, he wasn't, his disciples came to him and said, hey, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And he goes, yeah. And he flips out this, this newly written prayer. No, no. This is Jesus's own prayer. Let's go back. Jesus left Nazareth and went to the Jordan River to be baptized. And when he was baptized by John the Baptist, he came out of the water. And the scripture says the, the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit came down and, and touched Jesus in the form of a dove on his shoulder. And then God said, Jesus, this, this is my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. Do you remember what happened right after that? Jesus went straight to the wilderness. Listen to the scripture. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. You see, God had given Jesus a vocation. This is your ministry, Jesus. You go into this world and you announce the new kingdom. You tell everyone there is and you convince them that God has brought a new kingdom through you. And Jesus is standing there thinking, okay, I'm supposed to go against the Romans. Is that correct? And the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so Jesus goes out as he contemplates this enormous responsibility. He goes out into the wilderness, but Satan is there. And Satan is, tempt, is, is tempting him because Satan knows how good Jesus is. He knows that God has sent Jesus. And Satan wants to do everything within his power to get Jesus to join his side. Hey, you haven't eaten for 35 days, Jesus. Come on. I'll feed you a hearty breakfast. Come on. I'll, I'll make things beautiful for you. You see how God's treating you? You're fasting? What did Jesus use as defenses against Satan? Prayer. 
Lead me not into temptation, but God, deliver me from evil. He not only used prayer, he used submission. Submission, I will submit to the Lord. I will submit to you, God the Father, for the vocation that you have sent to me. And thirdly, he, he is, his defense was obedience to God. Man, food had to sound pretty good after a long bout. I mean, I can fast one day and I am done. But Jesus, 40 days he fasted. I know that he was hungry. I know that he was weary. And just like us, Satan was trying to get him to cross the line. Satan tries to get us to cross the line. Anywhere that Satan sees that God is doing beautiful work, that's where he's going to hit hardest. You find a church that's doing great work, you'll find Satan trying to cause dissension. Satan is very, very smart. But I think the other thing that Jesus wants us to remember about this scripture and this prayer is that in the end, God wins. We've read the rest of the story. We know that Jesus is victorious. And from that, we can ask God when we have difficulties in our lives, when we have our own struggles, we, we can personalize this prayer to say, God, man, I have been dealing with this for years, and, and it's getting the better part of me. Help me. Lead me. Lead me beside still waters. Lead me not into temptation. We know the, the beautiful story of the good shepherd, and we know what a shepherd does. He protects his flock, his sheep. He, he keeps them from falling into holes. And that's what Jesus wants to do for us. But it's not this thing where you pull this prayer out once a year. Jesus told us in Matthew 10, come and learn the rhythms that I have. And then we look back at Jesus and we see what he did all through the New Testament. He went out, he taught, he got tired, he was tempted, and he would go away to his father, and he would spend time in prayer asking him, deliver me from evil. Jesus recognized that after he would go to the cross, that those who followed him, his disciples and, and a broader group of disciples who followed him would also be persecuted in their vocations, just like Jesus was. Jesus had every good intention, and look what happened to him. People made fun of him. People ridiculed him. They threw things at him. They slandered him. They spit upon him, and they ended up torturing him and killing him. And he looks now at these, these 12 disciples, his closest friends, and he says, man, you're fixing to get the same thing that I did, but let me leave you this prayer for your defense because God is with you. Don't just pray this once a year, disciples. Pray this all the time. 
Make prayer a huge part of your life, not something that you just go to when you're in trouble or you're feeling that I'm about to be in trouble. Go to it every day. Let God give you daily bread. Let him fill you up daily. Let him give you just enough protection for that day. Amen? Not only that, Jesus did not stop there. He gives us that same prayer to us for our use and for our purpose. We are walking in the same path of our master. We are apprentices of Jesus Christ. And wherever you are right now, any of us, Wherever you are right now in your spiritual walk, you can go deeper. That includes every one of us in this place. We strive to know Jesus more. We strive to follow his rhythms, unforced rhythms of grace that he has for all of us. My mother never read a theology book. She never went to seminary. She never went to college. She never finished high school, but I can tell you one thing for sure. My mama loved Jesus, and she raised her family, along with my sweet dad, to love Jesus. I remember as a little girl, they started this rhythm in our house of having prayer after breakfast before we would go off to school. And I remember we would eat in the kitchen, and then we would go next door to the the little den and we would all sit around and and dad would read a scripture and mama would read a devotion and then one by one we would all pray and when my dad prayed I was so ready for it to be over with because he could pray the longest of anybody in our family and at my age I was tired and I was yawning and I was let's get over this not realizing what they were instilling in me, that there's a rhythm of prayer. And, and before long, high school, I realized that, oh, yeah, this is becoming a part of who I am. We continued to have devotions. When, when Sid and I had children, we continued to have our little family devotions. Because we want to have it a rhythm of our life. We want prayer to be so much a part of us that it never seems foreign to cry out to God. And now in our senior years, we continue to have the best prayer in the morning that we have ever shared as a married couple. And our, our seven-year-old granddaughter comes over quite often from next door, and she joins us. And she has her little book. She wants to read the Bible story. Because we need to instill in each other that, guys, this is important. The evil one is real and present. The culture is real and present. And it wants you. But Christ wants you more. And you have a choice. You have a choice of who your master is who your shepherd is, and who you put your hand into that person's hand. Is it Jesus? I want to be like my mama. 
not in some ways, and we won't go into that. That's another sermon. But I want to be like my mama in that everything she did, she prayed. She got really sick. She, she was, by the way, she was married to my dad at age 14. They stayed married for 68 years. My mom uh, got dementia, Alzheimer's, horrible disease. And even in their late 70s, they were going to a nursing home every single Sunday and leading worship at, a, at, at the service at the nursing home long after my grandmother had passed away in that nursing home. They kept going. And, and, and it became a rhythm of their life, encouraging, worshiping, praying. And so in the last months of her life, my dad was her caregiver, and he was taking care of her, and, and it was very typical for him to say, Mama woke me up during the night last night. Well, what was she doing this time, Dad? Well, she was in the middle of a prayer. She just, I woke up, and she was praying because she thought we were in the nursing home leading a worship service. And she, she prayed the most beautiful prayer for these people, and then she said, amen, and then she goes, and now Pat's going to lead us in a song. And my sweet daddy was laying in bed right beside her, and he took his cue and just went right into a song. And she started singing with him. And this continued, not every single night, but this continued up into her death. Because, see, she never stopped worshiping. She never stopped praying because it was such a part of her life. It followed her the rest of her life until she passed at 82 years of age. I want to be like my mama. God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Would you pray with me? Lord, help us to recognize that prayer is all about a love relationship. And, Father, sometimes we let that go. Please forgive us. And, Father, would you just uh, give us such a hunger and thirst for you? Would, you? would you make our palates just want to yearn for you, to taste and know that the Lord is good? Father, we want to be with you. We want to be apprentices with you. So, so, Father, would you help us to carve out time out of our busy schedules to set before you and to talk to you and to, just to listen to you? We ask that the Holy Spirit will give us a new understanding of how important prayer is to us. Lord, would you give us a new passion for prayer? Would you help us to take the fo focus off of ourselves and, and put the focus on your mission instead, allowing the new kingdom to emerge within us? And Lord, would you teach us to pray as you taught your disciples? And please feel free to join me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.